All right. Well, let's go ahead and get started. And um, before we begin, there'll be two passages of Scripture, two fairly lengthy passages of Scripture that we'll be reading. And being the teacher, I don't want to read them. So I'm going to put that off on y'all. So um, the first one is someone could look up um, Philippians 1, 12 through 18. And just have that ready for when I tell you to read. Philippians 1, 12 through 18. Philippians 1, 12. You hush. I got it. <laughs> I always got to be that one student in the front row. In the front row. And then the second scripture is uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 18. So, again, uh, whoever has those, just get them ready, and then uh, whenever I tell you to read, read. But now that we've got that out of the way, Let's begin with prayer. Father, we thank you for this day in seven that we have to rest and to study your word and to fellowship with the saints. Lord, we thank you that by the sacrifice of your son, we are all made clean, that our sins are forgiven, and that we stand in right judgment with you. We stand in, in um, stand cleansed of our sins. Lord, we uh, thank you that as a result of this, your spirit abides in us and allows us to live the life that you would have us to live and that we are glad to live because we are grateful for what you've done for us. We thank you that as we study this book and read your word, that you would give us ears to hear what you, would, what you want to say to us, that you give us hearts of flesh, not hearts of stone, and that you would make us heartily willing and ready from now on to live for you. We thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Now this question, this question that I'm going to ask, I don't want you to answer. I just want you, to, I want you to answer it in your mind and keep that answer in your mind <coughs> for the entire um, for, for the entirety of the lesson. So again, do not answer. Um, could our life, and I include myself in this question too, could our life be better? Okay. Now, if you ask that question and you say yes, there are a million reasons, small and big. Why that, why that could be true. Um, was, is, is your coffee hot enough on your morning commute? Is there road work going on on your commute to work? Uh, was the waiter or waitress sufficiently kind to you when you were eating your meal? Will you be able to make your next house payment? Will you survive your cancer diagnosis? The, again, million reasons, small and big, why if you answered yes, that's why you answered. If you answer no, well, how do you answer that way? Do you just, are you just gritting your teeth, trying to make the best of a bad situation in your own strength? Are you blindlessly and foolishly abandoning reality uh, to make yourself say no? And so, again, don't answer. Just keep that answer in mind um, as, as, you, as we go throughout this chapter. And we'll deal with those questions at the end. But there are, there are four, um, four points that the author makes. One first uh, point is the difference between contentment and complaining. Now, from the book, there are two very highly technical definitions for contentment and complaining that I want to go over real quick. Contentment means I have enough. That's it. That's what contentment means. I have enough. Complaining is I have a cup. The cup is small, and it's filled with icky stuff that, that, that I don't like. 
So you hate the cup, you hate the stuff in the cup, you hate the fact that you have to drink the cup, that's complaining. Contentment means I have the cup, and so I'm happy. So again, two very highly technical definitions. So um, with those two definitions in mind, whoever has Philippians 1, 12 through 18, read that. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of a selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. Okay. Thank you. So Paul, we know, is writing this letter from prison. And before, the part before Josh read, he begins the letter by thanking, by thanking God for what the gospel has done in the lives of the Philippians. Okay? So he starts the letter with thankfulness. Okay? And he's thankful because the gospel is being preached and it, it is being, things are being accomplished. The Philippians' lives have been changed. And after establishing the fact that he is thankful, he moves into the fact that he is content with his situation. <coughs> and by the way, I forgot to mention that the title of this chapter is Thankfulness and Contentment. So, sorry, let me back up. Thankfulness and Contentment. So that way you know, because you've heard contentment a lot, and that's why you're here. Um, but moves into being content because of what his imprisonment is accomplishing. So, but could Paul have been content? Could he have accepted his imprisonment without the grace of God. Could he have accepted that, that he was imprisoned? No. Why? Right. Because no one wants to be in prison. Okay? No one, you know, that's not a place that we choose to go. But Paul could, Paul could sit in prison and write this letter and be grateful for what was being accomplished because he had a truly grateful heart. And earlier in the book, we learned that a truly grateful heart is a heart that has Christ as its focus. So it's not this nebulous thankfulness that I am just thankful in general. But thankfulness has an object. That object is Christ. Okay? And because we know that, uh, that God is in control of all things, Paul could be thankful because he knew Christ was in charge and knew that Christ was doing something because of his chains. So in the scripture we see, because of my imprisonment, the gospel was being proclaimed. So I am thankful for that. And because Paul was thankful for that, he knew that his imprisonment was not in vain. It wasn't just random. It wasn't because the Roman, it may have been in human eyes because the Roman guards just got up one day and got a wild hair and threw him in prison. But he knew that he was put here for a purpose. So he was content. He was, you know, the gospel's going forth, I'm happy. Paul didn't complain about his chains, but he recognized them because they served a greater purpose. And because he had his eyes on Christ, he had enough. The prison cell was enough because of what it accomplished. 
He was fine with his, he was fine with his cell because it accomplished something. And he, and he didn't complain, well, I shouldn't be in prison. This is unjust. You know, get, get me my lawyer on the line because I'm going to get out of here. Right? The second uh, thing that the author tells us is not complaining even while groaning. So our, our definition of complaining is the cup is small, I don't like the cup, the cup is full of icky stuff that I don't like. Okay? But keeping that in mind, groaning is a very basic definition, being heavy laden, such as a table groaning under the weight of something. So, um, you know, it's, ugh, you know, like when, when your kids come and sit on your lap and they're like, you know, 15 and you're like, oh, but you bear it because you're like, I love my daughter, I love my son, oh, I love him so much, okay? <laughs> uh, but what, what we see in this point is that we are allowed to go through emotions when we go through something. We're allowed to have it, okay? We are allowed to groan. Romans 8.22 tells us that creation groans under the weight of sin, but yet the Bible says the rocks still cry out if we don't. So even though creation is groaning under the weight of sin, it still finds time to praise the Lord. Okay? So likewise, when we're going through something, it's okay to have emotions. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to admit that you were in a bad situation. Paul was not jumping up and down and cheering because he was in prison, just because he was in prison. Um, so we learn from Paul in this that contentment is not stoicism, all right? Paul was fully aware that he was in prison. He was aware that he was in chains. He didn't try to make it something other than it was. Right? Paul knew he was in chains. He, he accepted the situation as it is. He groaned, right? But he was content, again, with where he was because he knew that good was being done in this, that this is for a purpose. And let's not forget probably the most famous example of groaning, Jesus in the garden, where he, right before his death, he stared what he had to do in the face and he said, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He groaned. He sweated blood. When, you know, when Jesus went to the tomb of Lazarus and he saw Lazarus in his grave, he wept. He groaned. He cried. He had emotion, right? So when, when, when the Bible tells us to be content, it's not saying that we cut off all of our emotion and live as monks, but rather we, we accept the situation as it is. Um, earlier, just a few minutes ago, I said that true thankfulness comes out of a heart transformed by Christ, with Christ as the object of his thankfulness. And because we have Christ at the center of our heart, we know that everything will work out. Right? The world doesn't have that. The world has this nebulous belief that everything will turn out all right in the end, that everything is, happens for a reason, but it has no, it has no reason to believe that, except that it just does. Um, 
they, the war may be blinded by positivity, where it's just this, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be happy no matter what, you know. Or they may just give up and say, it's all, it all doesn't matter, everything is random, so let's just, you know, eat, drink, and be merry. But we know that God is in control. And so whenever we go through a particular trial, we can weep. Jesus wept, Jesus groaned, we can weep, we can groan. Because uh, we know that God is with us in our trial. And as William Cooper says in his hymn, Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. Okay? So we know that God loves us. Uh, we know that our trials and our tears and our heartache that we go through in this life is accomplishing something. Um, ask, a, ask, a new, ask a new mom if she would trade her child in order to eliminate all those, you know, says if you, if you give up this child that you have in your womb, I can, I can guarantee, you know, you won't have any pain when you birth it. No mother worth their salt would do that. They go through the pain because they know what the pain will produce. They produces this beautiful baby that they have in their arms. Um, I mean, you know, I know this is going to be really personal, but I've been married to Jen for 17 years. And I know that I would not trade one day of all the hard times that we've been through together. If you told me, if you don't marry Jen, you won't ever have to go through any pain again. And I will tell you, no. You know, um, because the pain that we go through in this life, it produces something, right? Um, uh, we can respond to the pain with Christ-centered emotions, or we can respond to it as the world does. Whoever has Second uh, Corinthians 4, 8 through 18, I read that. Thank you. So, again, that scripture shows us that, again, everything that we're going through is temporary. It's not random. It has a purpose. It will accomplish something. Okay. So, um, the, the third thing is contentment and peace. And on 
page 76 of the book, um, at the very top, there's a little quote, um, contentment requires an ability and enabling grace again to see above the dust and debris of this pedestrian earthly life. That ability or grace comes from God who gives peace. So, um, when we enter into the, the courts of God, we do so with thanksgiving. Okay? And we enter into the courts, we enter into the throne room, we make our petitions known, and we get peace. Now, why do we get peace after we, because, let me come back up here. Um, uh, 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 Philippians 4 or 5 says, Let your reasonableness, reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So, how do we get peace about, uh, about a situation? Prayer. Yep, exactly. Um, the, the scripture is very clear there that we, we, we pray about a situation, we enter with thanksgiving, and we get peace. And the peace is that God's will will be done in the situation. So if we're thankful about our situation, knowing that God will do a good work in it, then we gain contentment in that situation. We know that I have enough in the situation because God has said that he will always provide uh, what we need, that we are, have been given all things pertaining to life and valueness. So that leads to peace, which leads back to thankfulness. So it's a nice little circle, circle of thankfulness. Okay? Um, James 1, 2 through 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Unless steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So we get peace, again, because we know that God is working something out in us. All right. And finally, we have more than enough. Going back to Paul and Philippians, well, first of all, let me stop there. Does anyone have any comments that they want to, um, anything that struck you or anything that, that you want to contribute uh, to the conversation? struggle when we're full of anxiety to, to come before God and to give him thanks. Mm -hmm. But I think that the genius of, of this, by the work of the Spirit, is it changes our focus. Mm -hmm. I mean, what, what happens to us when we're locked up in anxiety and we then plummet into complaint and discontent is our, our eyes can only see the trouble. Right. We're not looking, as you've already mentioned multiple times, to the to what the trouble's producing. Right. But we're not looking in the moment either to the God who is with us. Right. So, you know, learning to reorient our minds mm -hmm. uh, to think on the God who's with us. And of course, in that Philippians 4 section, Paul's going to go on to tell you, you know, wh whatever is true and honorable right. and just and pure and so forth. Think on these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Right. Um, so it's only as we set our minds 
direction. Yeah. Right. And I, I think that's I think that's real hard, especially when you are going through something. You know, when you are going through something, to I think it. You know, you can get your eyes off and forget that. You know. You know, it can make you not come to church. You know, because you say, "Well, I'm just so stressed out. I'm just so, I'm going through a lot." But you know, as we all go through things, the church is exactly where we need to be. You know, I mean, and, and there are times when you're, of course, providentially hindered from coming. But you know, when you come to church, and especially when you talk about, because, like David said, when you're anxious about something, you can just turn inward and be focused on things. And you know, well, I, I don't want to trouble people with that. That's my thing, and I'll deal with that. And of course, that's what the devil loves. The devil wants you to turn inward. The devil wants you to focus on yourself and say, well, you don't need to trouble, trouble anybody with that. But as we turn that outward and say, well, no, I'm going to go to the body of Christ with this. I'm going to bring this before God. I'm going to bring this before my brothers and sisters in Christ, and they're going to help me bear this burden. You know? So yeah, that's, that's a very good point. Is there, is there uh, anything else that anybody wants to add? <laughs> and whether I'm removing something or I'm putting something in, right. <laughs> the, re- the whole reason we're doing it is because eventually this is going to be better for you than yeah. the way things are right now. Right. But why can't I remember that during the week? When I I <laughs> <laughs> it's I different when it's you versus when it's right. you. Right. <laughs> yeah. My problems are always bigger than your problems, you know, in, you know, <laughs> in the grand scheme of things. But, uh, more than enough, Paul, back in Philippians, Paul was thankful for his imprisonment because of what God was doing in it. His thankfulness led him to contentment. Okay? He had enough. His prison was enough. All right? He was thankful for the cup with the icky stuff because God had given him that cup full of icky stuff for a purpose. He, he didn't complain about it. Right? So to end, let's go, let's kind of fast forward to Philippians 4, uh, well actually, you know what, let me turn it around. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. All right. And this is a very, very famous passage. Tim Tebow loves this passage. Uh, not that I am speaking of being in need, now, this is Paul at the end of the, of the letter to the Philippians. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have this, learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So, at the end of this scripture, at the end of this passage, this letter to the Philippians, Paul said, I'm content. I've learned to be content. Okay? So we are thankful, content, and peaceful because God gives us the grace to be that way. But we have to always remember what drives Paul's thankfulness. Paul didn't go to prison and say, I'm going to endure this because I'm going to get something out of it. This is going to benefit me somehow. It was thankfulness rooted in what Christ had done and what Christ would do as a result of his imprisonment. Right? Thankful for what 
Christ has done and keeping in mind that God will see his work completed, Philippians 1.6, Paul could be content, so can we. As Christians, we have, uh, again, and I've said it several times in this, in this lesson, as Christians, we have a hope that our suffering is not random. That everything, not two sparrows fall apart from the will of God. Our suffering is not in vain. Our suffering has a purpose. Our suffering has a plan. Christ, who began a good work in us, will see that work done to completion. We know that we will stand at the end, and we will be sanctified, and we will see him. And the trial that we are going through at the moment is a light and temporary affliction. Our problems are filtered through the hands of a God who loved us enough to die for us. They have a purpose, and we can be content and find peace even in the toughest circumstance. So let's go back to the question I asked at the beginning. If you answered yes to the question of could your life be better, be careful not to fall into the trap of not believing that God loves us and is in control. God does love his children, and he is always in control. God's will is being done not in spite of our situation, but because of it. Okay? So that's something to remember. Because we're going through a particular trial, God is accomplishing something. His will is being done. It's not an oversight, the pain that we go through. It, there's a reason for it. If you answer no to could your life be better, then remember that it is a gift. If your life is going fine right now, that's a gift, and you should be thankful for it. You shouldn't be sad or angry or... Uh, you know, that, that that's a gift. But unlike salvation, God may choose to take that away. Look at Job. God chose to test Job. And so God took away everything from Job except his life. Right? When and if he does, how will you respond? Will you be thankful for his kindness and, and what he accomplishes because of your pain? Or will you turn away from him and curse him for what you do not have? Will you, as David always says, kiss the rod? Be thankful for the cup of icky stuff because it's only temporary and will only last as long as God allows and not a minute more. We have a couple of minutes for if anyone has um, comments or questions or whatever. Right. So this goes to your point as far as in those times of trouble, we need to be open with one another. Right. How would they know he was in trouble? But yeah. He told them. Right. And yet, how did the church respond to his trouble? They came to his right. aid. They they shared his burdens. Um, yeah. So we always we always thought Tim Tebow. He needed to go on to verse fourteen. Right. <laughs> right. Should be Philippians four, thirteen through fourteen. You know, kind of write our notes a little bit. I mean,
gentleman guy who just has a nine to five job and says, Oh, for that life, you know, the big buildings life. <laughs> yeah. The guy doing the nine to five looks at the guy with all the wealth and thinks, Oh gosh. Right. Yeah, no. I mean, you know, I guess if you have plenty, you know, you can fall into the trap of still wanting more. Right. You know, like, you know, for the man, I mean, like, you know, Jeff Bezos, I mean, is he content? He has, the dude has $138 billion in the bank, but is he content or does he want more? You know, so... Right. Right. Yeah. You know, because, you know, I did this, I have enough. Rather than this is a gift from God for me to bless others with. Um, Right. Yeah. Right. I, I was looking at this poem also something about how um, some of the dangers of wealth that we talked about is that when you have wealth, you just want to accumulate more stuff. And it's just like on and on and on. You want to get more shoes and more clothes and another car. And you know, just another place to stop. Like another laptop and just on and on and on. So there isn't that compassion that you're about. Yeah, and it's funny because a lot of very, very rich people you know, they eventually reach that point where they say, you know what, I've got to turn this outward. I mean, I have literally more than I could ever spend. So I need to turn that outward. And I'm not saying there are Christians for doing that, but I'm just saying, you know, people like John D. Rockefeller at the end of his life gave away millions and millions of dollars. Andrew Carnegie, Bill Gates has given like, you know, Warren Buffett. They've all been all just throwing money. Because, you know, eventually you do reach a point where it's just like, okay, you know, and again, I, I'm not saying they're Christians because, like Thomas said, why are they saying that? They're saying that because, you know, this, I've earned this, and so, you know, it's, this is me, and I'm going to give it as a gift, rather than recognizing this is from God as, as a gift, and I'm going to give it. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I think maybe we need to ask first, what does Paul mean by plenty? Like, what would be his definition of mm-hmm. that word in itself? He's not saying I've learned to be content in wealth or right. overabundance. Yeah. I mean, well, I guess he did say abundance, but you know, abundance to him might be right. just I have enough is sufficient. Right. I'm, I have everything I need for today. Yeah, but that's true. It's not, you know, I have enough for today and tomorrow and the day after that. And right. I, I'm content. Yeah. You know, he's content with I have everything I need for today. Right. But yeah. Right, because I mean, my definition of plenty, and Greg's definition of plenty, it's two different things. Greg has plenty if he has a tent. That's plenty for Greg. That's not plenty for me. That is suffering. That that's suffering. John. <laughs> no, I don't, because I'm not going to Malaysia. <laughs> God has put me in D- in you know D.C. with a house. <laughs> yes. 
I am not a missionary. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you know, the greatest definition of plenty is I have a tent and a little stove, so we're good. Honey, we good? Yeah, we're good. You know? Whereas, you know, if I show Jen, hey, we have a tent, Jen would be like, uh uh-uh. You know? So our definitions of plenty are different. Like, <laughs> I'd be like, no, Jen, there's a motel right down there. That's where we're going to go stay. That's my plenty right there. See that little day's end right there? That's our plenty. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, um, let's, um, let's pray. Josh, would you close this, please? Oh, sorry. That's fine. Go ahead. Yeah, I know. Right, yeah. It's weird, though. Man. Lord, Washington's great. But anyway, um, Josh, would you close this out?